And it was like their parents would just drop them off there when they didn't have a babysitter. You know, that's basically <laughs> what it was. It was, I should have charged like a door fee, you know? <laughs> hey, it's Walter here, and you're at the Think Profit Podcast, where we're going to help you develop a rock solid trading confidence and avoid the potentially endless cycle of system switching. Right, Hugh? That's right. We're going to help you develop a wealth mindset, develop a trading strategy that fits your core personality and help you overcome the obstacles that stop over 90% of traders. All right, Hugh, sounds good. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do this. Hey, Walter, I think it might be useful uh, from a psychology standpoint and from an experience standpoint to maybe talk about what we've been into before, like business-wise and how we, if we had any success or if we failed and how we learned from that and how we came to trading after that. Sure, yeah. So, okay, so just real quick. So when I was a kid... I learned how to do magic tricks. And so I was basically a magician from about age six, where I did, you know, little till I was in my 20s in college. I did magic. So that was kind of my business. And then I had side jobs, you know, mowing lawns and stuff like that, whatever, right? And then when I got to college, so I was surrounded by um, like psychologists and, and people that were in, because my, my mom was uh, a psychiatric nurse. And so I, would go to her work and they, they you know there'd be like whisper like you would see the rubber room where they would put the crazy people like the really violent crazy people in the mm -hmm. rubber room and i always remember being fascinated by that and walking through there and seeing the patients there was kind of like this feeling as a kid like almost like you're going through a jail or something i don't know like i felt yeah. i felt like you know they were dangerous or they were weird the people but they just seemed normal you know, the, the people that, that were there just seemed normal to me. And we were always around psychologists and psychiatrists and, and people like that. So when I went to college, I just decided to study psychology. And then after, as I got through it, I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. So I made friends with some from, there was a master's program at the university I went to. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to some of them and I actually ended up taking some master's level courses right before, you know, right before I graduated with my bachelor's. And one of the guys there, he was working for a jury consultant. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And I thought, that's a really cool job because it's the kind of, so I was thinking, what can I do? What kind of job can I have where I still have time for surfing? And that was my whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I thought if I was my own boss and I did this jury consulting thing, I could kind of do work my own hours and stuff. And, you know, I would have the mornings for surfing or whatever. And so he was telling me about it. And so I was, I was really fascinated by the fact that this graduate student was doing like grunt work basically for a couple of jury consultants. Mm -hmm. And so I applied for psychology and law programs at, in the US and Canada. I applied to, for it saved up my money and applied for 26 graduate schools. I think I got, <laughs> I think I got into three, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I did that. And then I, after I graduated, I went and did the jury consulting thing and I hated it because you're always working for the bad guys. You're always working mm -hmm. for the defendants that should be really should be sued. That was tough. Um, and also you're traveling a lot and you're living in hotels. It, it wasn't very fun. So I got out of that. And my friend that I'd grown up with that I went to high junior high, high school and college with who also went off to graduate school, although he, he only went for one year of psychology school. And then he opted out and, and went worked for a, an investment bank. He and I were trading all throughout the 90s when we were in university. Okay, in the early 90s, we were in university and we were trading the dot-com stocks, right? This is the real 
big ramp up, that first big ramp up in like NASDAQ stocks. Okay. He convinced me to quit my jury consulting job and move down with him in Beverly Hills and learn how to trade currencies. So that's what we did. We went down there. We even had investors lined up and stuff because he had, a, you know, he had a pretty good trading background. He had worked at lots of different brokerages and stuff. So he told me to go and take this class. I took the class. I think you've taken the same class, right? We talked yeah, about the guy. class too. Yeah. Yeah, the same, which is funny. It was like an ad and a little ad in the, in, the, in the LA Times. Yeah, It was like a weekend so, or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think mine was five days. It was a week. Oh, yeah, five whatever. days. I'm yeah. sorry, it was a week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. yeah, yeah. But whatever. Yeah, it's the same dude. I know we talked about it. Yeah. So <laughs> we, I took that class and then, we, yeah, so we, we, were, we were trading our own money and stuff. And I tripped, we tri uh, he tripled. I didn't really have much to do with it. He tripled it in two nights. And then by the last the end of the week, the money was gone, blah, blah, blah. But we had these investors lined up, like this, the Swedish Bill Gates. Was, my, was a friend of my friend, right? Because he was dating a Swedish girl and he somehow made this introduction to the Swedish Bill Gates. And so we, that was the deal was we were going to trade the Swedish Bill Gates money. We we're going to have this big office in Malibu and all this stuff. And then September 11th happened and mm -hmm. the guy lost a bunch of businesses. There was no way he was going to have any play money for currency trading or anything like that, which was good because we, we would have lost his money. That was, a, that was We dodged a bullet there. That was a really good thing that happened. We weren't ready for that. And so then I started a coffee shop, which was coffee smoothie shop, which was a pretty much a disaster. Didn't go very well. And then I just sold everything and moved to Australia, moved, sold all my possessions and packed it up and, and went down to Australia. Like I thought of it as like a sabbatical, like in academia, which all my friends in graduate school, they all end up going to academia, right? They're all teaching professors and stuff. I'm like the black sheep of the of the group. I'm like the one that nobody talks about. I moved to Australia and and I, and I had this sabbatical of like learning as much as I could, getting as many books as I could about trading, all about technical analysis. And they're all stock related and futures related because there was one book on currencies at the time. And then there was another one. So there's two books on currencies at the time. So I spent a good year and a half just learning it there. And then I had to get a job because in Australia, you know, visas and stuff. So I had to get a job for that. It wasn't anything more than just a job, you know. When I finally could get out of that and still maintain my residency in Australia, that's that's when I got out of that job as soon as I could, uh, because my trading was going really well at that stage. And so, and I think it does take the pressure off when you have another source of income yeah. for your trading. I talked to a lot of traders about that. So, so to put it long story short, is it, I was an absolute failure at business. My business that I, I mean, I guess my first business where I didn't have any employees as a magician, I did all right. As a smoothie coffee shop owner, that was a disaster. And I made a lot of mistakes there. You know, the path is, it's an interesting way because I never really wanted to become a trader. It was only just my friend that got me into it. And I thought it was actually cooler to be a jury consultant than to be a trader. <laughs> like I, I thought like when you're like, you think about when you're at the party and people talk about what you do, like jury consultants, like a cool thing to say, because oh, what's that about? You know, mm. where if you say trader, people kind of already have the, an idea in their head of what that is, or you know what I mean? And, and it could be negative or positive depending on the person. Yeah. So yeah. So, stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what, so what, what's your, where did you come from? Like, how did you build up to trader status or where did, yeah. how did you end up there? I mean, in, in school, I studied biology and um, biology. Yeah, really? Yeah. Wow. Did absolutely nothing with that. <laughs> so right out of college, um, uh, I got a job at a hedge fund. So I was working at the trading desk oh, as right. a trading assistant. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. That you said that on your website, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk about that on your website. That's how I read that. I remember. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it was a good introduction. I mean, it was a fixed income arbitrage hedge fund. So it wasn't too interesting to me because it was like all math and they were just like playing like regression to the mean basically. But I got a couple of years there. It was a cool experience. And then um, I went into IT consulting. So that was a little bit more stable. I understood it a little better and it wasn't like this, you know, like an assistant job. Right. So did that for a few years and then I um, tried to do real estate and that failed miserably. I just, I found out that I don't like doing real estate because you have to talk to too many people and everybody's out to get their own little piece of the pie. We did a few deals, but after that, I was like, okay, got to go back to the job and figure this out. So then I've been wait, on wait, the side. Can you talk more about the real estate? I'm just curious. Yeah. So were you selling or are you putting deals together or what was your role? Oh, buying and selling. So like, you know, okay. late nights, no money down type stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. So gotcha. yeah. So we did, you know, did a few deals, like bought a house for $10 and then sold it and made like $30,000 profit or whatever. Right? right. So, I mean, that was, that was kind of cool in itself, but the whole process of it, I just did not like, you know, people are lowering up and they want to sue you for stuff. And uh, it was just that kind of fun. Right. So I uh, got out of that. Um, and the whole time I was kind of, I kind of had trading on the back burner. Then I started the website and the website started generating some money. So that took a little bit of the pressure off. And then once um, I was able to take the pressure off and the trading came around and um, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Just trading and uh, doing the website. I'm going to start another website soon. So it's, it's a good passive uh, income generator, not passive, but more passive income generated than trading. What's the new website? What's that going to be? It's, it's more about this like self-sufficiency, trying to uh, learn these skills that maybe your great grandfathers had preserving food, you know, like building houses, stuff like that. Hey man, I want to learn how to pickle garlic. Are you going to talk <laughs> about pickling stuff? I'm yeah. serious. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the kind of stuff, right? You're talking about stuff like that, like self-sufficient, like yeah, storing yeah. your own food and yeah. uh, so what, that's what my wife wants to do. She wants to pickle some food. So I'm going to do some yeah. tutorials on that. Oh dude, I'm in. I'm totally in. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a friend, actually the friend that got me into trading, his dad, they were from out of the country and his dad would have these amazing jobs bars of pickled garlic and he'd be like hey and they made it you know and they had it like in a garage or whatever yeah and i was like oh that's amazing and like i remember when i was a kid my grandmother came out from the east coast to california where we lived in california there's lots of strawberries mm. where we grew up and so my mom and my grandma they just went to town they went and bought like punnets and punnets of strawberries right my grandma showed my mom how to um, make strawberry preserves like jam you know yeah and i'm not kidding you we had it for breakfast on our pancakes we had it for lunch on our peanut butter sandwiches which <laughs> i don't know if you know now you can't take peanuts to school now so my kids don't have oh, peanut wow. butter sandwiches yeah no you can't take nuts to school like it's illegal Jeez. that's all it's all this crazy stuff yeah <laughs> so like i had a peanut butter and strawberry jam sandwich for literally like eight years going to school and then uh we put it on our ice cream for dessert we had we would give it to people for christmas like hey merry christmas here's a jar of preserves mm -hmm. like we literally had that stuff for 10 years it was just one spring that my grandma came out and just boom made all that stuff but that's cool i like i like stuff like that that sounds like a good idea yeah yeah, yeah. well we'll see how it goes but um it, yeah. it should be fun but yeah, um awesome. yeah i mean like so what did you learn when you failed that mm. i mean a lot of people will try a lot of different stuff right like stock trading future trading mm. real estate and all that stuff yeah so like after you failed at, at your uh, smoothie shop and after i failed at the real estate thing how did you feel and how did you know where to go next Hey there, I hope you're finding this episode useful. I just wanted to let you know that Walter and I give away something valuable every month that helps traders improve their skills. You can enter to win by simply leaving an iTunes review and leaving a comment on our YouTube videos. At the end of each month, we'll look at the comments and reviews from the month and we'll pick a winner at random. 
Each comment and each review counts for one entry during the month that it's submitted. So if you're interested in that, be sure to enter after this podcast is over. All right, back to the episode. I always had, tra- like you said, training in the background. When I was at the smoothie shop, there was a lot of downtime, okay? Mm-hmm. In other words, we didn't have a lot of customers. Yeah. So I would, I would literally, and I'm not kidding you, I would literally get up, and this is seven days a week, okay? And I had people that could work there, but I just couldn't really afford, you know, I, I'd give them a shift here or there or whatever, but I would get up when it was dark, and I would listen to the Coast to Coast AM radio show. It would be on replay. <laughs> Yeah, it was I'd get up. It'd be night. It'd be like night. OK, I get up. I drive it was about a half hour, 35 minutes to the smoothie shop. It was really more of a smoothie shop than a coffee shop because nobody drank our coffee. Right. And very few people drank our smoothies as well. <laughs> but at least four people did. So I would get up. I'd be listening to Coast to Coast AM re- rerun like they reran the one that was on earlier. Like, you know, they have six hours of Coast to Coast or whatever. I'd get to the smoothie shop. I'd fire up the coffee machines and all that, blah, 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 right? Get everything ready. People would come a little bit, in the, you know, a little bit before school. Maybe a few people would come for a cup of coffee or whatever. And then after school, it was more of a hangout for kids that were like 11, 12 years old because we had ice hockey and foosball and billiard tables and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Couches yeah. that they could relax on. And it was like their parents would just drop them off there when they didn't have a babysitter. You know, that's basically <laughs> what it was. It was, I should have charged like a door fee, you know? <laughs> it, we actually had music too at night sometimes, like like nice. crazy music. I, like bands that would, wouldn't play any, couldn't play anywhere else because they were like death metal or whatever. <laughs> and they were so thankful. Uh, it's probably the only smoothie shop that had death metal bands at night. <laughs> I can't see what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. So why did this business take off? Yeah. So what I learned, though, is I was always looking at the charts, Yeah. you know, during the day, because basically from about 9 a.m. to 1, 2 p.m., there was nobody coming in. Hmm. We'd have a few people coming in at lunchtime. There was a company there that makes guitar preamps hmm. in that area. They make guitar preamps. I don't know much about guitars or anything, but apparently that's like a really well-known company. And the the founder of the company like the 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 CEO or the president dude that the, that the company's named after he came in once and then the whole like all the secretaries started coming in and stuff and having smoothies so they would come in at lunch and then that was it so i had all this time to look at the charts i was following a signal service in south africa so whenever they gave their signals i would take the trades and stuff so mm-hmm. you know that's basically and i was looking at charts and still trying to learn as much as i could about trading there was a trader guy that actually came in there like a broker dude mm-hmm. and we would talk and stuff and i would you know kind of learn things from him and bounce ideas off of him and stuff like that. Uh, but other than that, you know, that was, you know, all I really learned from it was, you know, persistence and perseverance. Like what I've seen when I came to Australia and I convinced my one and only friend in Australia to come and live with me, <laughs> he, he was like, dude, don't get down on yourself that you're, you had a failed business. And I wasn't, I didn't really care about it. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, what, you know, I tried it and whatever, but he was like trying to pump me up, even though I didn't need it to be pumped up. And he was like, I'll always bet on the, on the guy with the failed business, man. You know, he learned lessons and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, you know, I'm not looking for any backing or anything, but thank you. You know, thanks for yeah, the vote yeah. of confidence and stuff. Like, it's so interesting that you asked this question because I just today I was listening to a talk by Malcolm Gladwell. You know who that guy is mm, who wrote yeah. Blink and Tipping Point and yeah, Outliers. Yeah. He was talking more about, about outliers and how like they did this study where they, they got the 0.1% top IQ people, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was in California. And this guy followed the, in Stanford, followed him around for like 50 years. And what he thought he was doing was identifying the movers and shakers of the generation mm-hmm. by getting the genius level 
0.1%, over 140 IQ people. He thought that that's what, who he was identifying and he was going to follow this cohort every 10 years, right? And you know what he found? Go ahead. The IQ didn't predict anything. Mm-hmm. And I think this really is relatable to trading. I don't think that you can say that if you're smart, you're going to do out trading. If you understand math, you're going to do out trading or anything like that. I think it really comes down to you wanting to make it work, right? Yeah. What he found was that those kids that had the higher IQs, the one, there was a small percentage of them, that about 15% of them that actually did do, go on to do great things. But 85% of them had very average to below average lives in terms of like achievement or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said that that was because of where they grew up. So if they grew up in a household that was loving and encouraged, encouraged learning and had books and stuff like that around, they did quite well, you know, basically like a higher class of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the kids that didn't have that, they didn't. They just had like normal, mm. normal lives and stuff. And I, I thought that was kind of fascinating because a lot of people will, will assume it's ability, right? And, yeah, yeah. and so, yeah, I, I think for trading, it's not really ability. Like there are very incredibly simple trading systems that make money. Yeah. But there are very few traders that will trade those systems through drawdowns, through the hard times, and learn enough about themselves so that they can kind of put things in place around them so that they continue to trade even when things get rough. And I think that's the same with business. Like I think today, if I wanted to go out and make a chain of smoothie shops, I could probably do a pretty good job of it mm. because I learned a lot of things from you know having... You know, don't have death metal bands at your smoothie shop. <laughs> you know, don't have a, a space of like, you know, I don't know what it was. It would have been like, you know, 500 square feet when, you know, you could do you could do with 40 square feet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you don't need that. You don't need a lot of space for those kinds of places where they're kind of like takeaway places. You know, I didn't need to have all that space. So that's why I put the air hockey and the billiards tables in there and stuff, because like I had all this room and it was just weird to have this big room with nothing in it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. so. So, yeah, I mean, I I wish I could say I had some really big insights, but I think what I've really learned from talking to traders, from surveying traders, and from thinking about the traders I know who do well, they just know it's going to work. They Mm. know it's going to work. They know, like, you can probably relate to this idea of, like, you're not going to, like, you're just not going to stop. Like, you're not going to let anything hold you back and stop you from getting to the point where you're going to start making money. One of the things that Gladwell was talking about was the difference between Asian cultures and like normal western cultures and a lot of asian cultures they do much better on the math tests so they have these tests that they go around the world every four years they give them to all countries right Mm -hmm. basically all countries they test their kids every four years on the tim's test they also have a questionnaire in the in there that's not math related and it talks about like you know how many hours do you spend studying a day and all this stuff about your life and what they found was not every, in fact, it was 120 questions. Not all the kids would go through all those other questions that were not math related. They didn't get to the end of it. And one researcher decided to look at the countries that tended to complete those 120 questions about their life versus the math scores. Mm-hmm. And that actually the kids who did the questionnaire about their life, who went through the end of it, they also did higher on the math. So in other words, <laughs> and this is and this is like in, in Asian cultures, they teach you that every math problem has a solution. I don't know about you, but in, in America, what I learned growing up was that some people would just say, some kids would just say, oh, I'm just not good at math. So I can't, 
I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. Mm. I'm not good enough at math. But the Asian way of looking at it is very different. The Asian way of looking at it is every math problem has a solution. It's up to you to find the solution. Huh. And they, you know, there's no out. There's no like genetic out like, oh, I'm no good at math. <laughs> I can't do it. Like, <laughs> that doesn't exist. If you take that idea to trading, like people can tell you, well, I've never found a trading system that makes money. But there are traders that make money, right? Obviously. Okay. Yeah. So if traders make money, is it possible to make money trading? Yes. Okay. So can you find out what you can do to do, do more of what the traders who make money do versus following the traders who don't make money? What can mm -hmm. you do to duplicate? If one person can do it, many can do it, right? And you can do it as well. What I've learned from trading is, is that. And um, I wish I could say that I mean, it really comes down to persistence, I think. Persistence and the belief that you can do it. And, well, and I think also it, it sounds yeah. like, I mean, in my case, and it sounds like in your case also, that there's also a matter of interest, right? Like if you're really interested in it and you really want to figure out this puzzle, then I think, you, I think you'll figure out how to do it. But if you're not interested, then you're just kind of, you know, half acid and just um, try to get by and then make the quick buck or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? What's interesting about what you just said is that the turtles, when they did their screening, mm -hmm. they were looking for people who were interested in games, like that was the thing. Uh, and actually in the show notes, I will give you guys a link. There's this really cool guy. His, I don't know if you heard this guy named Naval. Do you know Naval? I've heard of him, yeah. He's an angel investor, right? And yeah. he had this um, thread that went viral on Twitter, right, about wealth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was talking about when he grew when he, I love listening to his interviews too. When he grew up, he was always doing like role-playing games. He was doing games and he kind of looks at life and business as games and kind of figuring out, what are the rules and how do you win this game? And I'm really big with that my, with my kids. I, I think a, like three things I think that are really important to, to teach kids from, from me as a father are the, the art of storytelling. So we make up a story every night, two stories every night before we go to bed, we make up stories. The other one is probabilities. So my kids know probabilities and they're like, they're like five and seven, you know what I mean? Like they <laughs> awesome. know probabilities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So probabilities, the art of storytelling, and then, Oh, oh, yeah. And then strategy, strategy games. So we play a lot of strategy games like Naval was talking about, because I think that kind of you can apply that to life. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think back to the time when I was in academia as a graduate student and there were certain academics that that got a lot of attention. OK, and they kind of dominated their field, like even in a little tiny field of like ch child abuse and neglect, which mm -hmm. I did some sort of ancillary research in at the time. Right. And my mentor had a. Uh, a foothold in this area called child abuse and neglect. Okay. Very little sliver of small sliver of psychology, but there were these people that had like, they had these like larger than life presences at these conferences, you know what I mean? And they dominated it. Mm -hmm. And really, when you look at it, they only did a couple of, you know, they just did a couple of things. And I think you can do the same thing in, in, in any field, you know, like real estate or Instagram influencers or whatever. Like, you know, there was this guy, he would just wear these these outlandish garish cost like these like these um flowing sleeves like he was from the 17th century you know he looked like a 17th century magician yeah um and his name was dante and he would wear these like big over like uh, kind of like the stuff i used to wear as a magician to be honest like really weird <laughs> costumes <laughs> and he would give these talks yeah ruffles yeah. and all that yeah and he would give these talks at the conferences and no one is ever going to forget dante you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because he's yeah. like created this persona. It's like he's gamified the whole academic thing and, and all of his 
things get published and he goes against the norm. You know what I mean? He just rails against the major theory of the time. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's a real, it's like just a game. Like everything in life to me is like a game. And so I think, um, and trading is a game, absolutely is a game, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that's why the turtles were screened. That's why they knew to screen. They were looking for people who were interested in games of strategy when they got those turtles in there. They weren't just, you know, they say that they could take anyone and learn teach them how to trade but really they wanted people that understood games of strategy because they knew that that's what trading was it's about applying learning the rules and, and learning how to make it work and how to win so yeah yeah no, i think that's a good yeah. point i think also that brings up the idea that if you're doing something you really enjoy then you're going to do it in your own way right you're going to you're going to make it yours you're going to figure out how to have fun with it like this guy dressing up or whatever so i think it's the same thing in trading you're going to you know some guys like the the big r trade some people like the consistent returns and you'll just figure out a way to do it for yourself and what you just said there's a neurochemical bi uh, basis for that too like if you're happy you are going to create neurochemically you're going to create an atmosphere in your brain that's going to lead to more testosterone which is going to lead to more effort mm -hmm. so if you're happy at what you're doing mm -hmm. you will do a better job at it because why? Because you'll want to do a better job. You'll want to put more effort into it. It's, it's going to come naturally. Whereas if you're slogging around at some job that you really hate, like you're not <laughs> going to be a good, you're not going to be a winner. Like you're not, you're, you're just not. You got to, you got to do what makes you happy. I mean, I know it sounds all new agey and all that. Like, yeah, do what makes you happy and do what, but it's true. Like neurochemically, it's absolutely true that that will make you try harder. Like mm -hmm. in your brain, if you're happy at what you're doing, you will try harder and you'll get better at it. And then now it's going to snowball, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. secret to life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. All right. Thanks, Walter. Thanks. All information in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not trading or investment advice.